0: What's up everybody, this is Cortland from ndhackers.com and you're listening to the ndhackers podcast. On this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How did they get to where they are today? How did they make decisions, both at their companies and in their personal lives and what exactly makes their businesses tick? And the goal here, as always, is so that the rest of us can learn from their examples and go on to build our own profitable internet businesses. Today I'm talking to Sergio Matei Diaz. Sergio, welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. I'm Sergio Matei. I'm an entrepreneur and student, and of course, an indie hacker. And you're also the founder of MakerLog, a community that helps makers very similar to indie hackers. So we're kind of related products. We're both catering to makers. We're both helping to inspire them and pump them up and help them to be more productive. So it's pretty cool to have you on the show, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about.
1: Absolutely. I, I've been watching what Indie Hackers has been doing. It's also been a, a constant source of inspiration. I remember when I first added the, uh, the MakerLog product to Indie Hackers, and uh, I had no stats to go along with it. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it has been fundamental in, in my progress as an Indie Hacker.
0: Tell me about why you started MakerLog. Because when I started Indie Hackers, it was primarily to help myself. I knew that I really wanted uh, stories about founders that would inspire me and teach me how to do what everybody else was doing. Why did you start MakerLog?
1: Well, uh, MakerLog was all started when I first found the maker community per se. So uh, since I was a child, I had been building little things for me and my friends. Uh, I started out, in fact, I've always had a knack for like business and uh, technology. So I grew up watching Facebook and all these huge companies coming up and uh, I wanted to make my own versions of them. So I, I started making little products when I was a kid. I thought I, I made facebook killers and whatnot <laughs> which were obviously not true <laughs> but uh yeah so eventually after a while building startups and you know slowly progressing i found out about the maker community through very curious means uh so there was there's this very famous maker that everybody knows levels peter levels um go follow him on Twitter if you don't awesome guy so he had launched this thing that was called Hood Maps, right? And I checked out his profile. I was like, oh, he's a maker, maker community. What's this? Right? And started exploring the whole community. And I stumbled upon this site that was called WhipChat by uh, another awesome maker called uh, Mark Holbroich, right? So essentially, I was like, oh, this is a site that is the community for makers. And uh, wow, it's the maker community. Cool. I want to join. Sadly... It was really expensive. <laughs> so I just decided, you know what? I really like this concept. I'm gonna build my own little productivity app like WebChat for myself, right? And um uh, start building it. And at the time I was in this all another maker community called the Maker's Kitchen. So I had built it and I started using it and I started posting about it on the maker's, in the Maker's Kitchen, right? And uh, people started picking up on it, right? People wanted to try it. Some people were like, oh, this is really cool. Kept using it and using it. And I started building more features and whatnot. And uh, eventually it was made public and launched. And uh, it's been growing since then.
0: It's funny you were inspired by WIP. I was a member of that community back before Mark started charging for it. I luckily snuck in there. I'm also a member of MakerLog. But I'm sure people listening you know, might not be a member of either community. So give us a sense of what goes on here. If I'm a brand new MakerLog member, I sign up for the community, what am I going to be doing there?
1: Well, uh, MakerLog is essentially a worldwide community of like makers shipping products together in public. So turns out shipping in public, logging your daily tasks and letting other makers, for example, comment on them, praise them, or you know, generally just being really public about the process of building your products is a great strategy for staying productive. So we also have this thing called the Streak model, right? Which is also, a, you know taken from the genius of Whip, um, which essentially allows you to gain streaks for every day that you ship consecutively. And uh, it's really, really effective at maintaining productivity over long spans of time. Essentially, it's just that,
0: a community of makers building in public and maintaining streaks. So let's talk about these streaks for a little bit, because that is like the main sort of feature uh, that I think of when I think of MakerLog. Like I'm going to ship, I'm going to check off some tasks today, And then tomorrow I'll come back and I don't want to lose my streak. So I'll check off some tasks tomorrow over and over again. And people have built up insane streaks like hundreds of days where they've worked on their projects.
1: The streak model is really great because it also allows for gamifying your productivity, right? So you see, uh, when you log on to getmakerlog.com, you immediately see on the sidebar top streaks and that. You, you see that and you're like, you know what? I want to beat them, <laughs> right? Yeah. So you're, you're able to gamify productivity in a way. And that turns out really valuable for indie hackers that are trying to bootstrap their businesses because uh, they generally stay really productive over these long spans of time.
0: Yeah, I saw a post on Twitter. I can't remember who posted it, but he basically was asking a question. Has anybody seen an example of a social network that makes you more productive. And I think he was just sort of railing against sort of the Instagram and Facebook culture where everybody's spending so much time, you know, envious of others and posting photos and doing stuff like that, but it's really kind of sapping humanity of its productivity. Then I look at something like MakerLog or WhipChat or indie Hackers, and all of these communities are explicitly geared towards making people more productive, and I don't know if there's any More hardline sort of feature to do that than the streaks, which are literally saying like, hey, the only way that you can win at this game, the only way that you can really be on the top and be popular here is if you are putting in work every single day. Why was it important for you when you created this community to, I guess, make sure that other people could be more productive?
1: Well, it all started because I really just wanted to become more productive myself. I also struggled with that problem, right? So I'm a maker in my free time. I am a full-time student, basically, and I've been a full-time student. Well, I've been a uh, full-time part-time maker for as long as I can remember. And uh, something that really does sap my time is... You know, scrolling endlessly through feeds. And uh, my generation grew up with that, and it's a hard problem to fight. MakerLog helps me really become much more productive due to its streak model. You know, I also think it's not just only the streak model, but that sense of public accountability that comes with. making everybody see what you do on a daily basis, you know, knowing that if you don't post one day, there'll be a huge gap in your feed. And, uh, you know, people will just know that you're unproductive. (laughs) All of that plays into creating a a very interesting alternative, uh, a niche alternative to mainstream social media or a productive alternative to mainstream social media.
0: One of the things that makes social media so addictive is the fact that we are inherently social creatures who care an immense amount about what other people are doing, especially if those people are people that we look up to or if they're friends or relatives. And that domain is so different than work, especially if you're an indie hacker. Work tends to be pretty solo endeavor. You've got your own to-do list that no one else is looking at. No one else is even assigning tasks to you, really. It's all internally driven. You've got your own email inbox. You've got probably you know a solitary environment. You're probably not working from an office. And what you've done with Makerlog is you sort of flipped the script here. You've made it so that all of these tasks are social. So I'm not just working on my tasks by myself, but I'm showing them to other people. I get to see other people's behind the scenes tasks instead of just seeing, you know, whatever marketing message they're putting out on Twitter. I get to see, you know, what actually went into that product hunt launch. What were they doing in the days leading up to it, etc. And I think that's just a great perspective to have to see what others are working on. What are some of the coolest things you've seen people working on in their task lists on Makerlog?
1: Well, there's a lot of diversity within MakerLog. Um, there's people that aren't strictly tech people, right? So you have designers. We have people building physical businesses. We have a huge variety of people on the site that are shipping something in public, right? Uh, there's a lot of projects. There's a lot of individual content creators, which is really cool. In fact, one of my favorites is definitely Fajar Siddiq. So there's this person from Singapore that is called Fajar. You should all, you should all check him out on, on Twitter, uh, Fajar Siddiq. He essentially is a content creator and influencer and also a bit of a digital nomad. So seeing him ship, ship all of his personal projects, seeing him ship all the content creation he does, which is an incredible and insane schedule. He dude is pumping out podcasts, videos. If you can create it, he will ship it, <laughs> right? So seeing all of that stuff is really, really inspiring. And uh, generally there's a large amount of projects. Uh, Leave Me Alone from James Ivings and Danielle. That's also been an, an insanely successful product. In fact, they launched, they launched something today. There's a lot of products. There's a huge intersection between industries here and, and people inspiring each other.
0: How did you find these people and convince them to start using MakerLog? Because there's so many different makers all over the world. Uh, quite frankly, they arguably have better things to do. They should be working on their projects. They should be you know hacking away. How do you get a community like this off the ground and get your first users in the door? It all comes down to really just creating a sense of community. Everybody, okay, Traditionally,
1: making is a really lonely activity. Generally, you know, you create products. I, for a long time, I was creating products really in a really lonely way. Right. You know, you know, I would launch them into the void. I would, you know, get feedback from close people and, and my family and friends. And uh, I think MakerLock just panders to that. Right. MakerLock solves this problem. I I think a lot of people from the maker community felt that same thing. I I felt for a really long time that making was really lonely, that I had nobody to connect with, nobody to discuss these things I was building with. And uh, when I started finding about the maker community and how it actually exists, there were a lot of people feeling that way. And I guess that kind of helped uh, helped boost
0: MakerLog's growth. Yeah, I think about this when i think of any product any company what problem does it solve for people you know what is the actual desire that they have that's currently not being fulfilled that is going to get them to use your particular creation and with something like makerlog or even indie hackers it's actually quite a lot of problems and a huge one is the one that you mentioned people are lonely and we're social creatures we don't really want to be alone all the time especially if we're you know working on a new project we don't have coworkers you know we don't have an office we can go to so you're solving that problem for people and there's also just the problem of being productive. How do you motivate yourself to get to work on something every single day if you don't have a boss who's timing you uh coming into the office or expecting you to turn in some deliverables or coworkers who are depending on you? And I think having this accountability, this public, you know, streak system where others can say like, "Hey, you know why why did you lose streak? <laughs> you know what happened?" um is super motivating and it's actually just a sort of a great trick for making sure that you can live up to your goals and your expectations that you set for yourself as a maker.
1: Absolutely. Quite frankly, uh, when you're starting up, you know, we all know that starting up is like a very risky activity, right? The, the odds are stacked against us. You need something to motivate you. And uh, MakerLog for a lot of the time for me it's the thing that motivates me, not because I not just because I made it, but because I, I log in and I'm, for example, I'm feeling down. I log in and all I see is people shipping things. I see people getting things done. People that say, hey, I received my first client, you know, and suddenly I feel like, you know what? I really want to ship right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I find myself opening VS Code or something and, and started and next thing I know I'm coding, right? So MakerLock just... It's a whole thing that, that, that inspires you. It's, it's a place where you find inspiration. It's a place where you find uh, motivation through gamification of, of productivity, right? Uh, it helps us who don't have bosses <laughs> stay accountable too, because we, we need to be accountable somehow, as you mentioned. And uh, I think it helps us combat the, the risks and downsides of being entrepreneurs, which are finding inspiration... And of course, as you mentioned, uh, not having a boss, which is kind of more of an upside, (laughs) but at the same time, in an accountability sense, it can be a downside for for those of us who just need that kick to get started.
0: So the tricky part with any sort of social product like a community is all of the problem solving aspects, all the value that you're describing, being motivated by seeing other people, having accountability, uh, being inspired, that comes from other people. And on day one, when it's just you coding MakerLog and no one's using it, uh, it seems like it could be pretty tricky to get like those first few users in the door and have them keep coming back to a community that's essentially empty. How did you get over that that hurdle with your community? Social media.
1: <laughs> the first big boost of users, aside from getting on Maker's Kitchen and getting the, them to be early adopters, was social media. Uh, so it turns out that most of the Maker community, uh, which is MakerLog's niche, uh is on Twitter, so a genuine interest, and this was something I learned uh, when I was marketing uh, Twitter that I really never had even thought about before. Right. This is also a little inspired on Peter Levels uh, methodology of being a really honest and, and an honest marketer. Right. So at first, all I would do is go on Twitter and look at what people were building. I start following a bunch of indie hackers and, and makers. I would look at what they were building and. I would think like, oh, this is really interesting to share. So I started sharing people, I, I started motivating people and all from not just trying to market, because of course it is marketing, that's what it is, but also from a genuine place of interest. And I think that was a big part of what made MakerLog really special at first, you know? And, and it still is part of MakerLog's core marketing philosophy. We are We try to be as genuine as possible. Right. We, we are generally interested in people's projects because indie hacking, you know, we're all in the same kind of boat together, trying to make it in this world. And, uh, you know, the, the initial strategy was definitely to just be genuinely interested in people's projects. And that actually helped MakerLog get really long way. In fact, probably most of the followers that we got in the first place were just people that we retweeted, uh, that I retweeted personally, just... Uh, you know, coding and having TweetDeck on another space on, on Mac OS, right? But yeah, it, it all came from a place of being genuine with the community and, and, and not trying to see more that I was too. Because I, you know, MakerLog started out as just me making a thing for myself. And I never really tried to hide that, right? So it also kind of plays into that sense of genuine marketing. MakerLog has always been a small thing. It's growing, but we don't try to hide that we're small.
0: What, is, what does small mean to you? Give us a sense of log size and, and what's your revenue?
1: Well, uh, we're currently, our MRR is close to 200 or 150. It does fluctuate a little. <laughs> uh, but sure, it's not a lot <laughs> compared to other things. But generally, I'm pretty happy with it and it's growing slowly.
0: What is the business model exactly? Like who pays for MakerLock?
1: Well, uh, gold members. We have a gold membership that gives you a lot of things like that elusive dark mode, which everybody likes. (laughs) Uh, Dark mode, removing ads, uh, milestones, posting milestones, which are kind of like updates. Uh, A few little features that people really like and just generally wanting to support the platform, right? Most of the people that pay for gold are just people who really want to support MakerLock's mission of staying a really open and inclusive platform.
0: Let's talk about effort and, and hustle a little bit because uh, as somebody who started a community, uh, just listening to you tell your story, I know it's an incredible amount of work to get a community off the ground. Uh, quite frankly, when you don't have a lot of people in your community in the early days, you have to be bringing all of that energy and effort and communication and sharing to the forefront. So with ND Hackers, that was me on the forum making all sorts of posts, you know, dozens of posts every single day, hundreds of comments with you and MakerLog. That was you on Twitter promoting people's projects and celebrating them and motivating them and inspiring them. Uh, Where did that energy come from with you in particular? I mean, you didn't have anyone who was looking at your streaks yet and who who was supporting you. How did you find all of that energy to be such a hustler?
1: A genuine place of interest. I really, really care deeply about the maker community. I care about seeing everybody being successful. I care about everybody, you know, trying new things out, experimenting, creating projects. I, I really enjoy going on Twitter and, and and seeing what people are building because it not only because I want to see other people succeed because it's inspiring. You know, just as I get really inspired by looking at the MakerLog feed, I hop on Twitter and I start marketing, quote unquote, but it's just me looking at things that I really (laughs) like and and retweeting them. Um, Generally, a place of, you know, it sounds kind of corny, but a place of love. I I really am grateful for finding the maker community because I was really lonely before it. And uh, MakerLog was my way of giving back to this new community of people that I found
0: so tell me about the way that you've infused your personality into your community, because every community kind of takes on some of the, I guess, personality attributes of its creator. And I know that MakerLog has its own very specific culture. What do you think, you know, belongs in MakerLog? What doesn't belong in there? What characterizes its culture?
1: I think what belongs in MakerLog is everybody. <laughs> uh, we strive to create like a really inclusive culture. Um, in fact, the reason MakerLog was created, as I said earlier, uh, because other communities. were a little exclusive in that sense, right? So we strive being inclusive. We, we love seeing really hardworking people, really uh, talented entrepreneurs. Pretty much everybody in MakerLog creates something. And that's amazing. You know, it's amazing hopping on there and seeing uh, what everybody's building. Uh, what we don't want in MakerLog are spam bots.
0: Go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want those either. Nope,
1: <laughs> but generally, yeah, we we strive on being really inclusive. So uh, we just want anybody anybody who creates a product, tech or no tech. In fact, if you're doing no code, that's actually really cool. <laughs> no code design, physical businesses. There's some of them out there. Uh, if you create something, you belong in MakerLog, and we will welcome you with open heart, open arms. In fact, I, I love because of. MakerLog has a little button at the end of the register thing that allows you to just tweet, hey, I just joined MakerLog, hashtag together we make. And one of my favorite things is going on Twitter, seeing those things and and replying to them, welcome home. Because generally, MakerLog strives to be really inclusive and I love bringing new makers in.
0: You know, it's been said that if you build something for everybody, you're really building something for nobody. That people like niches, people like really specific products and services that appeal to them. And they are always going to choose something that's specific to people uh, like them over something really general purpose uh, that applies to everybody. And yet, you with MakerLog have been able to build something that is super open and inclusive and that people really like. So what's your secret? How do you build something that people like while also being open and inclusive to everybody?
1: Well, generally, MakerLog kind of, the, the, the streak model in the first place, which is at the core of MakerLog right now, uh, encourages quality over quantity, right? So people that tend to interact the most are people who have either a really high streaks or, you know that really are generally interested in other people's projects. If you go on makerlog, you are not going to go there probably to waste your time. You're going to look go there to either a get inspired, ask for help on 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 the forums for example, or uh post some achievements and, and tasks you've done, right? So, the fact that makerlog is so limited in in terms of well, not limited, but <laughs> uh so so you know, the fact that it encourages this productivity culture, which is a huge part of the whole thing, right? The, the, the culture that it encourages is a huge part into why people see a lot of value in MakerLog as a as a productivity tool. The culture that it encourages in, in terms of becoming a sustainable business, in in terms of becoming an indie hacker and a successful maker, right? I think it all comes down to culture generally.
0: So it's not that MakerLog is for everybody, but it's for everybody so long. As they care about quality over quantity, and so long as they care about actually shipping and building real projects,
1: yeah, of course. I I, I think that that's one of the strengths of MakerLog, right? You, if you're on MakerLog, you're probably being productive, <laughs> which is really helpful in terms of uh, keeping quality up on the site. And I moderate a lot <laughs> uh, to make sure that people, for example, don't spam on the feed, and what, yeah, uh, which is a problem that happens when you know you start. Growing, and it gets a little annoying, but uh luckily, make hasn't hit too many rolls. yeah,
0: blocks. trust me, I know all about <laughs> I know all about spam uh, <laughs> oh man, I can't not imagine <laughs> yeah, it's uh moderating a community is is very rewarding, but there's also a lot of challenges, especially as the community grows because when you have you know a thousand ten thousand a hundred thousand people uh and your community, you start having to deal with like these one in a thousand, one in ten thousand, one in a hundred thousand people <laughs> where they're just no, outliers. Yes, absolutely. And it's, uh, let's talk about moderating There's been a lot of challenges. Yeah, I bet. Well, let's talk <laughs> about them. Let's talk about some of the, the social challenges with moderating a community and and having it take the shape that you want because um for example you've got this streak culture, this sort of hustle culture where uh you're motivating people to work harder, to work longer, to not miss a day, which is really great if people are trying to be more productive. But, you know, there's a downside to that, too, which is that potentially people can burn out. People can work too hard. People can get too obsessed with putting in the work and working long hours and not focus enough on making the right decisions or taking care of themselves. Have you seen that become a problem at all with MakerLock?
1: It has been a problem. Uh, Over time, as MakerLock started growing, I started noticing that I encouraged a culture that I didn't necessarily like, right? So the streak model while it has a lot of ups, it has a lot of downs too. And one of those downs is that generally it can tend to cause burnout. When you see people having uh, 365 day streaks, you know, crazy stuff like that, you start to wonder uh there has to be a lot of balance there, right? And uh, as we all know, everything in life is about balance. And sometimes makers and that whole motivation to hustle and, and get things done, we can get a little too carried away. So MakerLot has tackled this problem, trying to innovate around the streak model in a way, right? So I started thinking, how what is a way that we can encourage people to rest while at the same time keeping that incentive to come back and, and, and continue their streaks? So one of the things we came up with uh, well, I came up with was basically rest days, which work kind of like vacation days. Essentially, over time, as your streak grows, every ten days you get you gain one vacation day, which you can use to take a day off and not break your streak. Right. So it has helped a lot of makers out with their with their health, especially since a lot of people really just don't want to lose their streak. Right. So that's the one thing you got to really acknowledge when working with the streak model. People hate losing their streaks. There's a lot of angry support messages to back this up. <laughs> um, generally, people hate losing their streak, but a way to encourage health while letting people you know, keep their streaks is just by allowing them to take breaks without breaking the streak. It has turned out pretty well. We called it Streaks 3.0, and uh, it really has helped boost overall health in the platform.
0: What about you? You said that you've been burned out before. You've been overworked and maybe hustling a little bit too hard. How do you recognize when you're burned out? And also, what's your strategy for maybe taking a step back?
1: Oh, man. So, so for a while, when MakerLock started growing really hard, I started putting a lot of work into it. A lot of sleepless nights, especially since I was uh, in a studying. I'm a full-time student, so I have a lot of studying to do. I started putting a lot of extra time and generally not caring for myself well as they should have, right? So got a little too carried away there, to the point that it was just unsustainable. The stress was getting a lot to me and uh, I just said, you know what? I'm gonna take some time off. And uh this was <laughs> little after realizing that Streaks 3.0 was needed and that, you know, the culture I was pushing was not necessarily something I aligned with. And uh the fact that it happened to me personally confirmed it. I didn't have much balance at the time and I took like four, five months off, which is a awfully long time. I thought MakerLog would just crumble (laughs) in the meantime. You know, actually, this is kind of funny, kind of a funny story. I don't know if this happens to a lot of people. Makers kind of feel a lot of guilt when they step away from the products, which is kind of a big part of why makers don't take breaks. We, we feel this guilt that we're not working, we're not hustling and, and whatnot, and, and we, we're kind of wasting time, even though we're just focusing on ourselves. And uh, that was something I had to battle through those five months, you know, that kind of that feeling of you're not being productive, stop what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it was really tough, but eventually I got through it and I started finding balance in my life, right? I found a lot of things that worked for me. Uh, I found a lot of things that made me more productive, more, more energetic, uh, more focused and uh, it's been going well. I connect, I reconnected with family and friends and I came back with a new approach to MakerLog. And uh, generally this year we're probably going to push a lot more health related stuff because I think it is the path forward for this community. I think I cannot continue pushing that culture when I saw the effects it had on me. Right. And even though streaks are really useful and I still love them, which is why the Rest Days feature has been really useful. The model desperately needs to work. Uh, The hustle culture is a culture I do not approve of. I I don't think that hustle grind hard mentality is a great thing. And uh, I'm working really hard to fight that on MakerLug and make sure that everybody takes their breaks, everybody has their balance, you know? Um, And and encouraging that through the platform, which is a huge challenge considering we're a productivity platform, but uh, we want to encourage healthy productivity.
0: Another thing I've seen you be vocal about on Twitter and elsewhere is what you call launch and dump culture. So what's that about?
1: My my problem with launch and dump culture, well, what I call launch and dump culture, is essentially that the maker community at times can be a bit of an echo chamber. So so MakerLog, uh, well, not specifically to MakerLog, but you,
0: it's everywhere. the maker community yeah. in general. and hackers, <laughs> yeah. happens on every platform.
1: Of course. Uh, so... The maker community has a bit of a problem, especially with makers launching the products. And this happened to me, actually, with makers, uh, you know, launching the products in the community and believing they are validated just because of the amount of clout they receive or, or feedback from the community, even though it's pretty much all an echo chamber. Uh, launching up culture is strongly correlated to this. So it's essentially launching projects just to kind of feel validated in the sense of, feeling validated within the community, not just necessarily validating a product idea per se, a sustainable business. Um, That's just a a thing I personally have a problem with, not the official community of MakerLog in in any way. I I think makers can just create whatever they want, whatever they wish, whatever they want. But in my opinion, I align more towards creating sustainable businesses. And uh, the echo chamber has been a problem constantly and trying to educate people into what validation is in terms of creating a startup. And it's really misleading, right? Launching on something on Twitter and the maker Community and, and, and everybody retweeting it on launch day and people going crazy. Right. And you can mistake that for validation, even though it's not. Uh, so it's something I've been trying to educate, you know, and, and change the culture around it uh, to turn MakerLog log into more of an honest feedback tool, but not a validation place. You don't go on MakerLock to validate your products unless you're targeting the maker community, which is not a great target either.
0: <laughs> you know? It's fascinating how, but, many, yeah. how many of these sort of Goldilocks problems there are where you, you don't want things to be too hot, but not too cold either. Right? You don't want to hustle too hard to the point where you're not making good decisions, you're not sleeping, you're burned out, but you also don't want to not work or ever get motivated to get started on your dream. And so you have to find like, the right zone. And with the launch and dumb culture, it's kind of the same thing. Like You want to talk to other makers, you want to rely on their support and their feedback to feel good about what it is that you're doing, but you don't want that to completely replace your need to build something that's useful for your actual customers. And if it's just your colleagues pumping you up and saying, like, hey, you launched this thing, that's great, but no one's actually using it and you're sort of doing what you're saying and, and being validated entirely by the feedback from your colleagues and not from your actual customers and you're going to end up building things that no one really wants and not maintaining your motivation and, and launching things and then dumping them the next week.
1: I actually faced this problem uh, when I was launching Cowork, which we can talk about later. So what happened with Cowork is I set my mind out to not validate based on the initial launch reaction from the maker community, but Likes can be a powerful tool, right? So you kind of think that the, 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 it, it, the whole echo chamber kind of tricks you into believing that your product is, is validated and people really do want it. And uh, it's all about balance. And this is really, as you mentioned, it's all about balance. You, you, have, to, you have to look past all of this stuff. Sure. You, you can receive feedback from the community. You have a balance in, in the sense of receive feedback from the community uh, feel. Good about yourself. I mean, you created a product, and 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 people are cheering you on. People are inspired by your work, but don't take it as validation. As, you, as as you said, balance out your thoughts here. Right. That is probably my biggest lesson that I've learned in a while. Uh, now that it's undergoing a pivot, and I I figured out how wrong I was in, in a lot of things. Right. And that whole experience alone made me realize that hey. This is a culture problem that I need to tackle because a lot of makers are probably going to fall
0: into the same trap. Echo chambers are powerful stuff. So let's talk about CoWork, which is this new product that you started building, and you had a different validation process for it. Uh, what What is CoWork? Why did you start working on it?
1: Uh, CoWork is basically a productivity tool for research teams. So uh, that's quite an odd audience for me to tackle. Um, but so after CoWork, kind of. Did not work. It was initially a tool for remote teams to stay together. Basically a maker-long enterprise, right? Which I thought was amazing, (laughs) as every every entrepreneur
0: thinks
1: (laughs) when they build their idea. It didn't really work out. I started building features and whatnot, but I wasn't really listening to the actual science. I had zero customers about after two or three months, and I said, you know what? No. So I entered into this customer discovery bootcamp that was recommended by people at the amazing U- University of Puerto Rico Center of Innovation. Shout out to those folks, really amazing people. They recommended this camp that's a customer discovery bootcamp uh, for validating your product ideas through a whole lean focused approach. It's called iCorps. It's here in Puerto Rico and uh, from, from Gru- Grupo Guayacan, which is a local kind of a charity for entrepreneurs, We're for pushing forward the, the whole entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Puerto Rico. Generally, once, we, start, once I, we started talking to customers, because at this point I had a teammate, I still have a teammate. Once we started talking to customers, we realized, oh wait, nobody wants this. <laughs> we realized that we were tackling the wrong problem and the wrong people short listening and we found that research academic research teams have a lot of problem coordinating their tasks not just co- not just in coordination but also in time management so we found kind of a bit of a problem there in reach which is really interesting to tackle uh so we started pivoting and uh yeah that's where we're at right now i'm currently building an mvp uh to validate this or start the learning process because i uh, a lot of things uh, co ICorp's taught me a lot of things and uh, the Start methodology has really influenced the way I think. And uh, I- I'm looking forward to start learning from the MVP and, and, and seeing if I can find a problem to tackle and, and some customers to, you know,
0: build a business around. <laughs> so I went from MakerLog for the enterprise, which after a few months you didn't get any customers for. Then you joined this basically customer development boot camp. You learned how to talk to customers, validate an idea, Started building a tool for scientific researchers. And now you're pivoting again.
1: Well, uh, going back to the whole echo chamber thing, I think that number one, if you're in a community, uh, if you're in a maker community, indie hacker community, anything of that sort, don't mistake, uh, you know, that initial rush of makers like promoting your projects as validation. It's not talk to your customers, absolutely go out there and talk to your customers. It's the best thing you can do. Um, the community are not your customers. So you can absolutely listen to them. You can get feedback. I mean, you know, people spotting little bugs in your homepage or whatnot. It's really useful, right? But don't mistake it as validation is probably the best, the, the most important thing I've learned in the past couple of months that, Uh, another thing I learned was that sunk cost fallacy is a powerful thing. You know, one of the things that was really hard for me to accept when I decided to pivot to co-work was that, okay, so I had the customer data. I had empirical data, massive spreadsheet of people's, actually of people's problems and, and, and their, their, uh, their feedback. Right. So I was looking at this empirical data and, I couldn't spot anything, anything to tackle because I was still in that some cost fallacy of make of co-work will work. My idea is great and whatnot. That was very wrong. And I learned to not be afraid of listening to the data you have. Empirical data is data. That's probably one of the biggest lessons too. Data is data. When your customers are telling you something, don't go for your vision. Listen to the customers. They're the ones who are going to buy your product. And uh, just generally, I, I, I often say that in the past few months, i learned to become a true entrepreneur, uh, becoming data-driven, uh, listening to customers, going out there and doing those customer discovery interviews, a lot of them, like 100, was one of the best things I've ever done in terms of me coming out of my shell and learning to listen to customers and, and, and forgetting that even though vision is a great thing and, you know, you got to have it if you're going to become an entrepreneur. Customers are the one who matters here. They, they have the wallets. And, you know, if you're going to build something, and it's going to be for them. So listen to what they tell you.
0: It all comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Again, just balance. You can't go 100% vision as an entrepreneur. You have to balance that with real data from your customers. And I see the same thing a lot. And I've also been in the same position a lot where I've had this sort of Blind optimism, this absolute confidence that whatever it is that I'm building is going to work. And there are projects that I worked on for literally years that, that were not working. They're very clearly not working. If I hadn't been so bought into the sunk cost fallacy, I would have just cut my losses and started something new. And when I did, things worked out really well, but it took years to get there. So I can't agree with that advice enough.
1: Absolutely. Uh, the sunk cost fallacy is really, really powerful. Uh, for me, it was a matter of looking at the data right in front of my eyes and not wanting to act on it. Exactly, that was really tough. You know, looking at the data, telling you, "Hey, your mission was wrong. Everything you're doing is absolutely wrong," and and, and still thinking, "But I built this. But I built it. You know, I I, <laughs> I, so much I spent code. so many hours. I wrote so much code. Uh, but you know, one of the most most precious things in life. It's time, and eventually, you might have spent a month building the MVP. But if you're gonna waste years, you know, chasing something that will never work, that cost right out. (laughs) Stop what you're doing, and focus on something else. Uh, It's it's
0: an investment in your success. It's one of the most, I think, insidious things about hustle culture gone wrong, as well. Where a lot of people, it's not that they're not working hard enough; it's that they're not working on the right things. They haven't asked the right questions. They don't have the right hypotheses. And so, what they really need to do is take a step back and change their approach. But there's so much of a focus on, hey, if things aren't going well, what you need to do is just work, you know, 90 hours a week instead of 60 hours a week. Then things will will break through. And like number one, that usually doesn't help you win. Uh, you just end up adding lots of features or doing lots of things that don't matter to an already bad idea. But then you feel worse because you've invested so much time and effort into it. It's harder to pull away. You feel worse when you when things don't work out. So it's, it's you got another reason. Uh, not to try to solve every problem by working as hard as possible.
1: Yeah, uh, that's another problem. You just touched on another t- problem of the hustle, hustle really hard on grind mentality. Um, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs think that the solution, especially engineering focused entrepreneurs, right? Uh, us engineers, we tend to think that these kinds of problems can be solved by just adding features. When you might be adding features, but the core value proposition is just not there. You're not offering value, right? And you will end up with, at the end of the day, you'll just end up with enterprise software that really nobody wants.
0: Exactly. <laughs> so tell me about what's uh, going on in your life right now. You've still got MakerLog. You've still got Cowork, which you're working on pivoting. What are you really working on the most? What's absorbing most of your time? I'm currently
1: working on two things at the moment. Well, three things. Uh, MakerLog, getting a new version, a whole reassign and rethink of the MakerLog interface and, and the core idea of, of the community. Uh, getting that out the door right now is currently one of my biggest priorities. Um, building the MVP for Cowork. So, as I said, Cowork is currently pivoting and I want to start that learning loop as soon as possible. So, I'm um, building an MVP. Is, it's really simple. Uh, so, you have, you know, I often joke that us engineers, we have a little demon. Right in the left. You know, do you know those movies where the guys have demons right in their shoulders saying, Oh, do this, and then the angels right here, oh do that. Yeah. I've been fighting that engineer demon, you know, a little engineer that stands on my shoulder and says, Two little features, stop what you're doing, keep building. But no, this time I'm actually building an MVP. So building that MVP to start learning as soon as possible is one of my biggest priorities. And last but not least turning my ventures data-driven, right? So for a long time, I was fo- focusing a little too much on vanity metrics, and I was measuring the wrong things, right? Instead of measuring user behavior and and, and, met- and core metrics to optimize, I was looking too much at the gross, uh, which is something I learned back in iCorps. So focusing on the on the statistics that matter, measuring, and, and experimenting a lot is part of my mission for this year tuning maker into to becoming much more profitable, uh, while still maintaining the inclusivity aspect. And, uh, yeah, just generally optimizing, optimizing this year and experimenting a lot, not just with tuning core metrics, but also pivoting cowork until something sticks and, uh, <laughs> you know, creating new things to, from new problems that I find the customers
0: may have. It's a lot of stuff. I mean, having, not one project, but two projects and also wanting both of them to become data-driven. How do you avoid burning yourself out, working too many hours while having all these projects while also making sure that you're productive enough to actually move forward and it's not going to take you you know, five years to get to where you want to go?
1: Balance, definitely balance. I, I try to squeeze out the most of my day, but I also prioritize friends and family and my partner. Uh, which has been a, a huge help in the process. I, I prioritize them over anything making related, you know, going out with the friends, going out to the beach, uh, hanging out with, with my partner, focusing on what really matters in life. Right. And prioritizing that over my work when in the past it was the inverse has been instrumental to keeping my health in check. Also, maintaining routine. I found that I really do work better with routine. I set up my university schedule so I finish most of my classes really early in the day, so I, ha- I have the rest of the day to plan and and, and do whatever I need to do, uh, which can be marketing, coding, ops, anything. And at the same time, plan to do things with, uh, as I said, friends and family. Generally, just balance. Uh, this year is probably this year and the past few months has been all about finding balance for me. And it's really, really giving great results. I feel much more focused. I feel I feel great, honestly. And uh, that's definitely going to reflect on my work on MakerLog.
0: Yeah, you look happy. You look like you have all the energy of a healthy <laughs> college student. I don't know very many people who could juggle having all those projects and a personal life and a partner and go to school at the same time. And yet you're managing to do it. And you're a pretty prolific maker as well.
1: I'm not going to lie. Uh, I'm not going to paint a rosy picture either. It gets tough. <laughs> it gets really tough to managing so many projects and dividing my time. I, I have a lot of problems, especially dividing my time. Like, you know, figuring out what to work on next. Coding is really attractive with marketing, for example, but I have to market too, right? Finding time to stream on Twitch because I, I also stream on Twitch a lot. Follow me, twitch.tv. <laughs> Finding time for all of those things is hard. It's, it's not a rosy picture at all. But I am confident that I can be healthy while I'm at it and and feel happy because of the balance that I am finding.
0: Yeah, that prioritization work is extremely tough. And I think focusing always ends up meaning as an entrepreneur that there's a lot of stuff you want to do, a lot of stuff that people might say you should be doing that you still just don't have time to do. And it never feels good not doing things that you feel like you have to do, but that's what focus is about. You can only do the most important things. A lot of people listening I, in are fledgling founders. They're trying to figure out how to focus. They're trying to figure out how to prioritize. They're trying to figure out how to come up uh, with maybe even just one good idea, whereas you're working on several. What's your advice for someone who's just now getting started as a maker? What do you think they should take away from from your story and your learnings?
1: Join MakerLog. I kind of say that as kind of a bit of a joke and, and also a plug, but finding a community that supports you and encourages you to do what you love and, and and helps you inspire you into finding passion to apply to other projects is really really instrumental to at least all I've done i i am confident to say that this period of self growth couldn't have happened if i hadn't had the community behind my back you know find a community that really supports you find a community that you can be inspired by feel more productive when you're in it and uh yeah join places like maker join places like indie hackers plug to you guys you guys are awesome find people you can really connect with because it really does help uh, another thing is find balance you know don't prioritize your work over everything because it seems attractive to spend entire nights coding and and, and getting things done and it really does give you a nice little dopamine boost to take something off your checklist but it's not healthy on the long run and i learned that the hard way and uh a few hours of break weekly or not a few hours of break a few days of break weekly could have solved that problem altogether prioritize your family friends or family over hustle because we, you know at the end of the day this is kind of something that make lot does struggle with too we, we we see that people are being really productive. We see that they're doing everything. It kind of makes us want to hustle and grind really hard too. But think about yourself too. Think about your health. Think about your mental state and think about how to stay healthy in the process. Uh, MakerLog is definitely going to focus on that this year, trying to help encourage this whole health first culture.
0: But yeah, I, I think those are my biggest lessons. Join MakerLog. Find a community of people who inspire you, but don't get carried away and make sure to maintain balance. Absolutely, Sergio Mate, thank you for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure talking to you. Can you tell listeners uh, again where they can go to find MakerLog and, and what you're up to online?
1: Okay, so you can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Uh, You can also find me on MakerLog, slash at Sergio. And you should also really join MakerLog. We're a community of uh, really encouraging people. We we love seeing new projects. We love helping makers achieve their dreams. Uh, If you're a no-code person, if you are trying to learn to code we can give you resources we can give you that framework of support that you know everybody every human essentially needs we all need uh, these social interactions we all have that need to feel supported to feel feel like we have a circle of people we can trust that can encourage us make fills that gap for a lot of indie makers and
0: i hope it can fill yours too all right thanks again sergio thank you so much cartland for having me Listeners, if you enjoy the show, you should subscribe to the Indie Hackers Podcast newsletter. I send an email every time a new episode is out so you know exactly when they're released. And I also try to include my thoughts, opinions, takeaways, and behind-the-scenes notes on each episode. You can find that at ndhackers.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time.